Amen. Let's thank God for our worship team. Looking forward to just sitting under this amazing worship all week long. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can meet me in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We'll begin reading at verse 1. John chapter 6. Begin reading at verse 1. If you got it, say, I got it. If you don't got it, say, I ain't got it yet. <laughs> Take your time, just hurry up. John chapter 6. Hear these words of our Father. Um, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Father, thank you so much for this time here at Mount Hermon. Father, as we've gathered together and as we begin this week together, I pray that you would speak, O oh Lord. Your children have gathered to listen. Tune our ear to your voice so that we might hear you ever so clearly. Turn our hearts toward you so that we might experience the fullness of all that you have for us. God, it's to that end that I ask that you would stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you would have us say, know, and do. May the words of my mouth the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. Get glory in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It is so good for us to be here together, and I know a miracle has already taken place. A miracle has already taken place. We don't have to wait for God to do nothing else a miracle has already taken place because for some of you, not everybody, but for some of you, just getting the car packed up <laughs> and you didn't file for divorce was a miracle. That was, I'm just telling you. I don't know how it is in your family. Maybe y'all love packing. Maybe joy, flowers start floating around your head when you start packing. At our house, guns come out. Like packing 
is a time where our marriage is on thin ice. It could go either way while we packing up on this trip. I think hell is continual packing and unpacking. That's going to be hell. That's going to be, I'm telling you, marriages, some of y'all, let, let me just, let me just take a poll here. Anybody almost didn't make it because of the packing in the car? Anybody almost? Come on. Come on in here, somebody. Amen. Amen. I praise the Lord for you telling the truth. Everybody else lying. I, I'm telling you, getting that car packed up, getting the kids. If you got young kids, oh, Lord, did you leave Jimmy? You don't know if you left Junior or the toothbrush. Both of them will, will destroy this whole car ride. You know what I mean? So, praise God, you overcame the hardest part. You got here. Can we just celebrate and thank God that you made it here? You made it here. Now, you may not like each other yet, but we got time. Y'all be back in love by Wednesday. Give yourself time, but just be thankful that you are here. Um, I want to talk today... um, a little bit about what you packed up and what you brought. Um, that's what this story is about. As a matter of fact, this is a passage that, um, that I've had the joy of teaching for the last five years, um, and it still reveals new stuff to me. As a matter of fact, I got invited to preach this passage to upwards of over 350,000 people. Um, the Global Leadership Summit is a big gathering. It's one of the largest Christian gatherings in the, in the world. Um, and it's just a day of speakers. Um, and they broadcast it, I mean, all over the world, all over the world. Um, and I got the call to go there. And this is a place where if you have a book, like your book will sell like six, 7,000 copies in one day. Uh, as a matter of fact, I didn't have a book. I tried to write one before. It was over. I was like, Lord Jesus, give me a word. Let me write that shit. <laughs> Y'all think I'm playing. I really did. I came this close, and I was like, Lord, what am I doing? Let's stop it. It's, hopefully, they'll call me back. Um, they haven't yet. But um, this, um, this, fish, this story about this little boy and two fish and five loaves of bread, um, they invited me to teach at the Global Leadership Summit. And to say that it's a career-altering experience is an understatement. Um, after this, I got calls from different parts of the world to go and travel to speak. So this is a, a resume-building moment. This is a resume-building moment. So I'm excited. Um, as a matter of fact, I look at my calendar, and it's in August. I block off two weeks before, almost like a big fight to just get in shape, get ready. The first week, we, we booked a trip to Catalina Island. So my wife and I and some other friends, we, um, we're going to go out and just kind of vacation and rest. And then the second week, I have it blocked off just to sit and just study and just prepare my heart and mind to speak on the largest platform that I'll ever speak on. Uh, I, I, just, just the largest. So I'm getting ready, preparing for this, <laughs> this, this resume-building moment. And... Um, we get on the ship and we get ready to head out. And um, we're going to Catalina Island and we're at Carnival on the cruise line and the DJ, I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise, but the DJ is on the Lido deck and the wobble just started, you know what I mean? So we out there, y'all don't know what the wobble is, I'm sorry. It's, it's, gonna, it's gonna be a long week if y'all don't know what the wobble is. I'm telling you, this is, uh, uh. 
we are out there and we get started. And, and that's when we started getting these, um, these calls. So as, as the ship is moving out, uh, the signal is not as strong. But um, my wife's sister, uh, who over the years has become my sister, 30, 33 years old, uh, she suffered from multiple sclerosis, MS. Uh, but as, as you guys know, you can have multiple sclerosis and live for a very long time um, um, and live a very full uh, full life. Um, we started getting calls. It was our niece, her daughter. She had three teenage kids. They rushed her mommy to the hospital. She's, um, she's not feeling well. Which, that, that call happens probably several times a year, uh, needing some type of infusion or something, you know, that, so that didn't raise a really big red flag. But it was enough for us to want to keep checking in. As we checked back in, um, it was in the emergency room. They're, um, they have to restart her, her heart. So as we're cruising out to Catalina Island, we, um, losing connection, and then finally, we got the call that no one ever wants to get. We're in a cabin in a carnival cruise line, and they say, she's, she's gone. She's gone. My, um, what would happen in the next few hours in that cabin? Um, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life, the brokenness, the pain the tears. Some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's when the reality of a loved one being gone hits you. So we have to go through all of this stuff, get off the ship, get back to the state, I mean, get back to Calif uh, to the, our city and put the roast on the plane, headed home, and I'm gathering myself to get back home. And my mother-in-law calls me and she says, would you, um, would you speak, do the eulogy for my baby? So here I am. It's now the week before the Global Leadership Summit. And when I thought that I would be somewhere on the ground preparing to give this talk that was going to shape my career, I'm having to stand over the dead body of my sister and eulogize her and speak well of her. And something happened in that moment that has changed me forever. In that moment, I realized what matters when someone's got to stand over you. It's not where you work. It's not your accomplishments on the job. And in that moment, I made a commitment to God. I said, God, no longer will I live for my resume. I want to start living right now for my eulogy. Because when you die, no one's going to stand over you and pull out your resume. They're not going to talk about the bonus you got. They're not going to talk about the great job you did when you were working in the clerical department. No one's going to talk about that. The thing that's going to matter the most are the things that had eternal significance. How you love people how you loved God and how you lived for him. 
So I go to the biggest stage of my career very sobered, recognizing that it's not about my resume in this moment. It's about my eulogy. And I want to live daily reaching for eternal impact. I stand on the stage of the Global Leadership Summit. To be honest, it was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. As a communicator, I was not on my game. I started off too fast and it didn't come. And I was worried about the time. It was, I was just all nervous. You got all these cameras, all these people. My, my, my grieving wife is sitting there on the second row. I'm grieving. And so it, it wasn't, it, I just didn't feel great about it. As a matter of fact, I, I, I was so worried about time. I went so fast. I got done with my whole talk and looked up and I had 15 minutes left. So, so I just started stretching. I just started, you know, I just, you know, I don't know what I did. I just started filling time, Jack. Um, I, um, it created an insecurity in me and I was like, God, I, I had this new epiphany. I had this new vision for my life. And then I got up there and it wasn't even good. And I got an email from Pakistan. And it was a pastor. And he began to tell me how before the Global Leadership Summit in Pakistan, he lost his family and he'd already planned and scheduled and knew how he was going to end his life. He was going to take it all. He had already concluded that he was going to give up. But somehow, one of the last things on his list was to go to this summit. He had been every year. And he wrote to me and he said, Albert, when you got up, and when you start talking about this little boy and this little fish, I got a brand new vision for my life. And God said, you need to live and not die. He says, Albert, I'm back at my church. I'm pastoring. Working on getting my family back. And I just want you to know that God used that talk to save my life. That won't show up in my resume. But if y'all around, you better make sure it shows up in my eulogy. I want to take just a few moments to talk about this little boy and how when you start to live for something greater, God does something amazing beyond what you could ever imagine. This little boy is fascinating to me. Um, Jesus, you, you guys get the context. If you've been around church for a long time, I'll give just a little bit, but um, there's a crisis a few weeks ago, I got a chance to go to Israel, and we were in Tiberias, in Tiberia. We were, uh, we were walking by the Sea of Galilee, and as we were walking along the edge, this tour guide, oddly enough, she pointed out these drop-offs. And as you go on the wrong road, there are these drop-offs, and they're kind of like these little caves, these little, little, little tuck-away things on the street. And she said, uh, years ago, uh, thieves and robbers would hide down in there. And when people would travel at night, they'd jump up and rob them. Um, so to travel during the nighttime was a dangerous thing to do because these, these, these thieves would hide on the side of the road and do that. So 
when we look at this, there's this unspoken crisis and urgency in the text because it's getting late. And you can't have this many people traveling at night because it's dangerous to travel at night. So the disciples have a little anxiety and they're saying, Jesus, what are we going to do with these people? What are we, we going to do? Because if we need to feed them and let them go, we need to do something because it's getting late. And most of all, we're tired because you've just been talking all day and we've been sitting around watching. It's hot out here, Jesus. I'm, I don't know if they said it, but I, if I was a disciple, I should be thinking that. I was like, come on. Um, and then Jesus asked the interesting question. What I love, you just got to know when Jesus asks a question, he's not asking it because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking the question to irritate us. <laughs> Because it's so irritating. This is an irritating question. He knows how much is in the budget. He knows that they don't have any money. He knows that. As a matter of fact, the Bible, the text says it. He says he asked them to test them. There's nothing more irritating than someone asking you a question and you know that they know that you know what the answer is. But they ask it anyway to test you. So it's like when your wife said, so... How did it go with the kids this morning? You know how it went with the kids this morning. It went terrible with the kids this morning. You know that, but you just want me to say it, don't you? I'm sorry. It, our therapist has been working on us articulating, <laughs> speaking clearly with more grace and love towards one another, so pray for me. My wife's not here, so I just get to say it like it is. Um, <laughs> Jesus asked the question. He says, listen, listen, imagine that you're on the Jesus team and he asks you this question. Imagine how irritating it would be. How much would it take to feed all 5,000 plus? Really, Jesus? You, you know we don't have enough money, but you want me to go through the work of counting all what we don't have. Okay, all right. So they go and they do it, go in the account and then they count and see how much we got. And then... I think it's sarcasm. Other people may not, but I think they're a little sarcastic when he comes back to Jesus. He says, Jesus, we got enough for everybody to get a bite. Everybody get one bite. That one guy, he'll take out three right there. That's just one bite. That's all we got. <laughs> I would argue Jesus sometimes has you do the math so that you'll know without a shadow of a doubt, it's impossible with what you have. Sometimes he asks you the question so he can get you to tell the truth about your inability to bring anything to this situation. Um, just then, they roll up with this little boy. You won't talk about a dumb idea. Anybody ever had a dumb idea before? I mean, like, a dumb, like this is a bad idea, but watch this. But you feel compelled in your bones to say it out loud. Although you know it's a dumb idea. But you feel like, I have to say it. But you know you got to say it, but you also feel like, I got to give a disclaimer because I want them to know that I know it's a bad idea, but I just got to say it out loud. You know what I'm saying? So Andrew, Simon's brother, comes up and he says, I got this little boy. I know. <laughs> I, I know it's not a bad. He has two fish, five loaves of bread. I know it's about 15,000 people out here. I know that's not enough food to feed everybody, but I felt like I had to bring him up here. Please don't kill me, Jesus. You know what I mean? <laughs> he brings his little boy. It's a terrible idea. Don't, don't not bring it to Jesus just because you feel like it's a terrible idea. God has used some great dumb ideas to change the world. 
Oh, he uses dumb ideas all the time. There's a, there's a ministry. There's a ministry in L.A. There's a, a Father Boyle. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a minister, and he was working in the hood. This old white guy with white hair all around his face. Um, Father Boyle working in the hood with gangsters, like hardcore gang members in the hood. And he has this vision to give them an opportunity to have a better start and a better way at life. And he comes up with this. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is not a dumb idea. He comes up with an idea. I'm going to start a bakery that's run by gang members. Yeah, gang bangers making puff pastries and selling them in the community. Now, come on. If somebody said that, that, that's a dumb idea. Guess what? It's called Homeboy Industries, been running now for years. They got one in LAX now. God's using it and blessing people. And you walk in and you got gang members serving you your coffee and doing that. They got a whole tattoo removal program and stuff, which now, you know, more tattoos are in. Now he could probably kill that program because it's all about tattoos now. Phil's got a killer one. You should let him show it to you tonight. Um, <laughs> he's... Like he's got walk through the Bible all the way across his chest. You see what I'm saying? And then come around the bottom, it says Bible life. You know what I mean? I mean, don't ask him to show it to you here. It'll be a little awkward. But when y'all go to the beach tomorrow, you should just look for Phil. But anyway, that has nothing to do with the message. Um, I'm just saying, don't underestimate a dumb idea. I'm saying that because while you're here at Mount Hermon, God may just give you a dumb idea. He may just speak to you about something that he wants you to do. A place, a posture that he wants you to get in. A ministry for your family. He may talk about some new rhythms that he wants to establish. And, and when you first hear it, it may be so foreign to your comfort and where you are, it'll sound like a dumb idea and you will shoo it off. I'm telling you, don't do that. God speaks to you here at Mount Hermon. God, seven years ago, gave me a dumb idea sitting right here. I was sitting up and I was getting ready to take a job in Orange County, a teaching pastor job. Church had 8,000 people. That's the greatest job in the world. To be the teaching pastor but not the senior pastor, that means you don't have to deal with all the junk. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's amazing just to be under that. It's kind of like Dave with Mike. Dave just has the easy gig and Mike got to walk around with all the pressure. You know what I mean? <laughs> Dave just gets on the organ. You know what I mean? That's a great gig. Mike's walking around somewhere now crying, praying for more money to help build the building fund. You know what I mean? I wanted to be Dave. You know what I mean? I wanted that gig. So I'm a teaching pastor. So so and we've already interviewed, and I, I just came up to Mount Hermon intentionally without my family, just to be myself, to just spend time in prayer and just prepare my heart for what God's about to do. I'm sitting uh, down there in, 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 the, in the cabins, and God completely removes this church in Orange County. And he says, Albert, I want you to plant a church. And I said, the devil is like, the devil is up in here. Lord, I rebuke you, Satan, in Jesus' name. God has called me to this cush, comfortable job preaching the gospel to thousands, and the devil is a liar. I will not turn away. <laughs> True story. True story. I rebuked everything. I almost changed rooms. I said, no, there's something in this room I need to change. Right. Give me another cabin up in here, Jack. This is ridiculous. 
I stayed in. And by the end of the week, I was in tears because God had given me a full vision to plan a multi-ethnic gospel center church. Seven years later, over 3,000 people gather on the weekends, multi-ethnic, intergenerational, hundreds and hundreds of baptisms. God has been faithful, and it all started out as a dumb idea right here at Mount Hermon. It was so traumatic and so impactful. My wife says, all right, you go to Mount Hermon by yourself. Don't come back with no dumb ideas. <laughs> she said, this is a day. Last time you was there, it changed our life. So let's be careful. So I will not be attending any of the sessions because um, I don't need the Lord to speak nothing new. I just want to hold on to the, what I got. No, I'm just kidding. Phil, I'm going to be here, but just take it easy on me, please. Um, I guess what I'm saying is this boy... And Andrew brought this dumb idea to Jesus. And God used it to do some amazing things. This week, get ready. I'm praying that God will bring some ideas to you on how to be a better husband, how to be a better dad, how to be a better wife, a better mother, how to be a better, to leverage this single season. As you're a single woman, as you're a single man, how do I honor God and I think God's going to whisper and he's going to give some ideas and some of you, you're hearing it so bad he's probably not going to whisper, he's going to scream or something at you but you know, however he gets at you I'm just saying get ready he didn't bring you here just to do whipped cream face <laughs> he brought you here to do business with you he wants to speak to you and don't dismiss ideas that are foreign. Anyway, the boy comes, he comes, he comes. And then, and then can we just talk about the little boy just for a few moments, and then I'll get to my big point in a, in a second. Who is this little boy? And where did this food come from? Well, you got around, you know, I don't know, uh, upwards of ten to 15,000 people because they just counted the men. So if every man had a boo and a shawty, we're looking at about 15,000 people. <laughs> I'm sorry, boo and shawty. Uh, significant other and offspring. Um, <laughs> But you're looking at at least about 15,000 people. And out of all these people, he the only one that got something to eat? Who is this kid? And what was he doing that morning? Just fixing his, fixing his stuff? And I'm sure his mama walked in and was like, what are you doing? I'm packing my lunch. He's like, well, you're going to be with Jesus. Jesus is going to provide the food. As a matter of fact, your Aunt Shirley went to a wedding a couple of weeks ago. They ran out of wine. Jesus turned the water into wine. He said it was some of the best wine Aunt Shirley had. You know she liked her good wine, so you ain't got to worry about it. He says, no, I'm going to pack what I have, and I'm going to bring it. And the boy brings what he has, and Jesus. Now my cynical sign says, what if there was no food? Would there have still been a miracle? And have we gotten to a posture of being so familiar with our faith is that we just assume God's going to make a way and we don't even consider bringing anything to the table for him to make a way with. That was good. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> Have you just gotten so comfortable of just going in and attending uh, uh, Mount Hermon, attending church on service, attending and just passively receiving that you don't even bring anything to say, Lord, you want you want to use something I have? Or are you just going to use Albert and Phil and Dave a little bit? <laughs> you, you going, you going, 
You're going to use what I have? What if he takes your little bit and says, I'll do miraculous? Well, it's nothing. I mean, how can God? Well, he knows it's nothing. He knows it's insignificant. That's why he wants it. So don't allow the insignificance of it to, to talk you out of bringing it. He know it ain't enough. Of course it's not enough. Because if you had enough, you wouldn't need God. One of the biggest threats to people who have an abundance of things is their ability to find their way to need God. Although they're empty, they have so much stuff. You not having enough is a blessing. You not having all the money you need is a blessing. You not having all the resources you need is a blessing because it forces a dependency and a desperation on God to move. And I'm telling you, he will every time. He'll move every time. He gives it to Jesus, brings what he has. It's not enough. Gives it to Jesus. And what I love and what the lesson is, and here it is, he gives it to Jesus and he gets out the way. We don't see him no more in the text. He gives it to Jesus to get out of the way. Some of you, your problem is you give it to Jesus, but you're still in the way. You're going, oh, oh, I didn't know you was doing that. You about to give, you, try, you ready to try to feed everybody with that? Well, I packed it. I don't know. Huh? Well, here, if you, if you cut the fish this way, and if you break the bread here, you might be able to get a couple of, now, I wouldn't turn it that way. I cooked it in a way to where it's turned this way, so I would turn it, get out of the way. Some of you, that's how you are with your kids. I give you to Jesus, but with Johnny, if you really, the way he's wired, such and such, I don't need advice from you, honey, about Johnny. <laughs> Some of your problem is you give it to him, but you stay in the way. Give it to him, get out of the way, and get a front row seat at a miracle. Imagine the little boy. I know he's out of the text. We don't see him, but we know he's still there. So imagine him. Use your spiritual imagination with me. He's watching Jesus take his lunch, put his hands in his lunch, and he starts passing it out. Can you imagine the look on that boy's face? <laughs> Thousands of people fed. Not only did they get fed, but when you give it to Jesus and he puts his hands on it, he leaves you with more than enough. All right. They said that they ate to the full. I don't know about your house, but I'm from the South. I'm from Mississippi. When you eat to the full, I'm telling you, you full. It's, it's belly rubbing full. You ever, like you just rub it just to console it. Because it's like, oh, I know I put you through a lot. I'm sorry. I'm just, oh, I asked a lot of you today. I, I've stretched you to the limit. I'm so sorry, but it's just good. You, 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 I'm talking about, have you ever ate that good to where, I mean, like you lay down in the bed and, and you feel like your shirt's just too tight. You're like, whoo, this shirt tight. And you get up to take it off and you don't even have a shirt on. That's just you. That's just, that's not even my, that's me. That's my skin that tight. You know what I mean? Like, like, like Phil's, Phil's tattoo is now walk through the Bible. You know what I mean? Like it's a paragraph. It used to be a phrase, you know? Like you ever been that full before? When Jesus says you're full, they were full. They walk out full. So they had everything that they needed, but God had a way of giving them everything they needed, but then you still having something left. I don't know about you. But in my spiritual imagination, 
What if, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if this happened or not, but what if they gave the little boy the 12 baskets? Since he was the one that sacrificed it, boy, I hear 12 baskets. Can you imagine? I don't know if that happened or not, but can you imagine him coming home? Mama, you ain't going to believe this. You know? <laughs> just baskets just overflowing. I know you, um, I know you came packed with a lot coming up here. More than you've acknowledged. More than you're willing to share. I know that the trunk wasn't the only thing that was packed when you journeyed up this hill. Some of you, your soul is packed. Your mind is packed. Your heart is packed with things that you're carrying. And I'm telling you, you're so overwhelmed and so full with what you brought to camp. If we don't take this first session to make room and to get rid of some of this stuff, the stuff that God's going to pour into you through the worship, through the time, and through the devotion and all that, you're not going to have room for it because you're so packed with the stuff that you are carrying. You got to get rid of the stuff that you brought so you can receive the stuff that God brought you here to give you. Here's the thing. We'll wrap with this. All of that, it's great. But there's a new piece to this passage that I've never talked about before that we've got to talk about. We've got to talk about. Let's be honest. Out of 15,000 people, he was not the only one that had food. Come on. That's highly unrealistic. We all just left breakfast. And I guarantee you, half of you, you got purses with food in it right now. And we just ate. <laughs> There's probably enough food in your bag right now and all the bags to, to feed a whole village in Africa right here. You got Cheez-Its. Some of you got cereal from, uh, girl, put that in your purse. Grab that. No, no, no. Grab, and you just stocking up. You got stuff. Look at you. Y'all got stuff up in here. You, uh, listen, let me tell you something. A mother, a good mama going to be prepared. She got something up in there to snack on. And dad, too, he got a crumbled up cookie from last night wrapped up in a napkin in his pants that he had on yesterday that he's now wearing two days in a row. <laughs> Come on now. We resourceful people. We ain't just going to have nothing. So we got food. He wasn't the only one to have food. So what does that mean? He was the only one willing to offer it up. Forgot to use it. Can you imagine? You got something in your pocket. Jesus asked for it. You said no. But then you watch what he did with the kid who gave up what he had. You want to talk about FOMO? Y'all know what that is? Just turn, I can see some of y'all confused. Fear of missing out. FOMO. Grandparents, use that word with your grandkids. It's going to freak them out. They're going to think you're the coolest thing ever. <laughs> Granny just said FOMO. Oh, my God. Jesus is coming back. <laughs> they watched this little boy. And what he gave watched it bless thousands. 
possibly even watch him walk home with leftovers. And here you're now walking away from this experience in your pockets, what should have been in his hands. I'll say that again. Here you are walking away from this great encounter, and you're walking away in your pocket, what should have been in his hands. Full. Full. They got a chance to receive and, and get full, but still went home in their pockets, what should have been in his hands. Do you see, what, do you see me setting it up? Do you see where I'm going here? If you get it early, I won't have to preach as long. Are you, you, you see it? <laughs> here it is. You can be at Mount Hermon all week and get full and still go home within your pockets what you should have put in his hands. This actually isn't a positive story, to be honest. It's kind of sad. Because thousands of people missed out an opportunity to participate in the miraculous work of God and what he was doing. Because they selfishly withheld what should have been put in his hands. Some of you, you packed and you brought some stuff. It'll be a shame for you to carry that stuff back home when you should have left it here in his hands. Your marriage has got a lot going on in it. What do you need to put in his hands that you currently got concealed in your pocket? This season has had a whole lot of implications and a lot of challenges and a lot of disruptions. What's the bitterness that's in your pocket that you need to leave in his hands? We're going to have a great week this week. God's going to do some amazing things. But he's saying, what would, what's possible this week if you started it with unpacking stuff that's in your hands? and putting it in God's hands so you can make room for what God wants to pour back into you this week. Let's start it early. Let's surrender on Monday. Let's not wait till Friday like all those other whack camps do. No, let's, <laughs> let's get it done early in the week. Because if you get it done early, I'm telling you, you make room for God to move in a way that come Friday, it's going to blow your mind and how much you've heard from him and how full you are because you made room for him to speak to you. All over the room, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Jason, would you just come and just give me a little? Can we just take a minute? Can we just take a few moments? Your head's bowed, eyes closed. I prefer you know nobody looking around, only because I just want you to focus. I just want you to focus. Because for some of you, this moment is very pivotal. Because you brought some stuff that you've been holding on to. And you need to give it to Jesus. You need to give it to Jesus. 
If you're here already and you say, Albert, I, I know what it is. Holy Spirit, I'm praying right now that he speak to you and just show you what it is. Show you what you've been holding on to and show you what you need to let go. I'm praying that he'd show you that. I think there's power in just naming it, just calling it out. So on day one, I know usually the first talk we don't get here, but let's go on and do it. Let's do it. If you can name it and you know what it is, and it's in your pocket and it needs to be in his hands. If you know what it is, you can name it. And if you're ready to surrender it, if that's you, just stand up right where you are. Just stand up right where you are. If you don't see it yet, that's fine. We got time this week. But if you already see it, you say, Lord, I already know what it is. I know what it is. I know where you, I know where you want it. If you can already see it there clearly and you're ready to surrender it, just stand up. That's an acknowledgement of God. I, I see your hand already moving. I, I know what you're asking for this week. I know, what you, I know what I need to get out of my pocket. What do you need to get out of your pocket? What have you been holding? Watch this. What have you been concealing? I've been hiding it. Some of you, you've been struggling and you've been hiding it. Some of you have been, you've been gripped by addiction, but you've been hiding it. God says, you don't have to hide it from me. I already see it. Just tell me the truth. Be honest about where you are. What's in your pocket? Now put it in my hands. Put it in my hands. I'm not going to, he's not going to, he didn't come to condemn you. He came to free you. So when you put it in his hands, he said, my son, my daughter, you were never made to carry this. This was always too big to be in your pocket. This was uniquely designed to be placed at the cross. So come on, put it in my hands. Put it in my hands. Hallelujah. As we pray, would you just lift those hands up towards heaven as high as you can get them? Lord, we thank you that we get to start a new week with you here at Mount Hermon. And we packed some stuff, Lord. We brought some stuff here. But if we were to be honest, we ain't got room to take back home. It's not going to fit in our house. It's not going to fit in our life. It's not going to fit in our soul. It doesn't fit in our minds. We can't take what we brought here back home. So, Father, we take it out of our pockets. We take it out of our minds. We take it out of our hearts, and we place it in your hands. Jesus. As we put it in your hands. We surrendered, and we say, God, we trust it in your hands. We put our marriage in your hands because if our marriage can just get in your hands, you could miraculously do beautiful things with it. If our finances could just get in your hands, God, you could miraculously do some amazing things with it. If our addiction and our sin and our hiding could get in your hands, Father, you've got a way of lifting the shame and guilt and giving us back grace and mercy. So if we could just get it in your hands this week, 
Lord, may this week be about us getting it in your hands so that we don't walk away from this miraculous space holding in our pockets what should have been left in your hands. So, Lord, we surrender. May this week be marked by your presence. Today, we start a journey with you. Speak, O oh Lord. We have come to Mount Hermon to listen. In Jesus' name. Every heart said amen. Amen. God bless you.